So the second Bible reading for today comes from John chapter 19, and we're going to start at verse 38 and read till the end of the chapter. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's on page 1135. So starting at verse 38, John chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Here ends the reading. I hope that's about right. People in the back probably hear me. Fantastic. before we start, just to explain, after eight years in the mission field in South Africa, in various rural parts, without pulpits, with eight years in uh, Scotland in a school gymnasium behind a lectern, and now in a classroom most of the week, I'm used to my pupils or my congregants being a lot closer than if I'm in a pulpit. So... Uh, And also, the benefit of me standing at the front is that you can see my lips move, which may help with the accent. No guarantees there, folks, but I'll try my best. I've been told to slow it down so that uh, I don't completely bamboozle you. Okay, Uh, before I do again begin, and I will eventually start here, uh, can I say thanks to John Wien and for Yvonne and the kids coming down last week to Scotch at Cows? for the Christian Movement Camp and for speaking. It was great that you could give them to us this last week and uh, we were greatly benefited his ministry. Let's uh, turn to God in prayer for just a moment. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather again together and to gather around your word. Open it to us, we pray. May we understand more something of your goodness and grace. Challenge us Encourage us, equip us, Lord, change us by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, if we could have open before you, I've got no slides, okay? Uh, so if you could have open before you Bibles from the first passage that we, uh, we looked at this morning, which is uh, John chapter 3, and we're going to look briefly at the, uh, the passage with uh, Jesus meeting Nicodemus at night. So John chapter 3, now Jesus uses a variety of images, pictures, especially in John's gospel, that resonate and challenge. Uh, I I am the light, uh, I I am the bread of life, I am the gate, I I am the good shepherd. And uh, throughout all the gospels, but particularly in John, we have these pictures that we can understand something more of who Jesus is and what he does for us. 
And we come to this particular phrase this morning I want us to look at that is very well known in church circles. It's very well known in evangelical circles. And also used in the world in a different way, being born again. And I would argue, and argue that we haven't grasped properly in the church what it means to be born again. That we see it as a phrase that we pigeonhole it. Uh, and that the culture outside sees born again and, and Christians, born again Christians, as being really pretty obnoxious or, or the lowest of the low. So I want us just briefly today to look at the passage and to understand how important the new birth is. What exactly is this new birth? And how do we receive a new birth? How important is this new birth then? Well, as you see in verse 7, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you mustn't be surprised when I say you must, you must be born again. Being brought up in Scotland and taken by a Christian mother to various gospel halls and crusades from people like uh, Dick Saunders and, and Billy Graham, this particular text was often used. You must be born again. I worked for some time in Bible translation and we produced tracts and posters. And one of the best selling ones for Gospel halls with the, this very text, you must be born again, that you'd be put outside so all the passers-by could see it. Now we see that whole phrase, and in some ways the church has taken the phrase, you must be born again, and we've kind of labelled it to those who would frequent gospel halls, or those who people whose lives uh, are, are in need of drastic change. Those people who are convicts or from prison. Those who are down and outs. Those people of loose morals. Those people whose lives are socially chaotic. They are emotionally all over the place and they need some kind of radical change. If we were going to look at a person who needs that kind of radical change, we would probably say that uh, it would be better to be used for the woman Jesus meets at the well, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the very next chapter. I mean, she would be for us today the ideal recipient of a message that says, you must be born again. Obviously with a great Scottish accent. You must be born again. But Jesus doesn't do that. He uses to the Samaritan woman the, the picture of living Water, And many people today therefore understand and saying that a person who needs to be born again is someone who has experienced or needs and then will experience a cathartic emotional experience that will change them. And therefore we think that that message, you must be born again, is for them but not for me. Someone who needs a bit more structure in their life. Someone who needs emotional cleansing and healing. Someone who needs to radically change their life from the chaos that they're experiencing. In some ways, of course, that's true. But to limit it to those people is probably not how Jesus intends it. 
You see, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he is the exact opposite of of a person we think needs to be born again. And Jesus confronts him with this message. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he doesn't fit our picture. You see, Nicodemus is not a broken man. He's not, I would imagine, an emotionally expressive person himself. You see, he's got all the boxes ticked. He is a a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He's at the apex of society. He's he's an, an older man. You had to be an old man to become a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, He's pretty well off, I would imagine, because God blesses his people. And he's incredibly well learned. He's one of Israel's teachers, Jesus says. He's He's got a PhD. He's part of the establishment. He is the mover and shaker. He's part of the cultural elite. You must be born again. Also, I don't think... And I've had so many sermons on this, uh, that he was some kind of spiritual seeker. That uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, uh, you know, I really want to be one of your followers. I think he comes at night, uh, not as a spiritual seeker, but he comes and says, "Uh, Jesus, uh, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God. You know, those of us in the know, know that you're the one of these guys that we can do. He's playing politics here. He sees in Jesus someone he can work with, or they can work with. Jesus hasn't burnt his bridges yet. He, he, oh, he's, he, just Jesus, he needs to smooth out the rough edges. After all, he does come from Galilee. Uh, but he's someone that people respond to, and we can do business with you, Jesus, if you play ball with us. We know that you're a teacher. We can do business. You see, I don't think he's a spiritual seeker with problems in life. I think he's calculating. I think he's educated. I think he makes decisions in a non-emotional way. And Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. Someone not at the bottom, but at the top. He turns the table. This Nicodemus is on the think tanks. He is the one proposing policy of how to make Israel right with God, how to make it more immoral and upright and so that the Messiah might come. He's an expert. He's content. And if Nicodemus lived today, he would have said, oh, no, 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 don't give me this born-again stuff. I I don't need it. And Jesus says, oh, you do. And I don't think this man, Nicodemus, is someone who needs more rules and regulations. You know, sometimes we think born again, people who need to be born again are those whose lives are so chaotic that they need a little bit more structure. And religion does that. Religion can give people more structure and purpose and something to live for 
and buy. And that's, Nicodemus doesn't need more rules. He's a, he's a member of the Pharisees. He's got hundreds of rules already. Man-made laws that have become traditions that he has to keep to, in order to keep right with God. He doesn't need more laws to follow. Nicodemus, I would put to you, is moral, structured, uptight, traditional, and yet Jesus says to this man, you must be born again. So what is Jesus really saying here? Well, Jesus is, what he's challenging is, and saying is, your morality, your traditions are not enough. Jesus comes to the most moral man, most upright man, and says to him, it's not worth much. You've got to be born again. You've got to start again right at the beginning. You know, like snakes and ladders. You're playing the game. You get to 98. You're all you're wanting is anything more than a two, you know, two and more. And you throw the one, you hit the snake, you're back to the beginning. Nicodemus, you need to go back to the beginning. Everything you've done counts for nothing. This Jesus comes with them with a most radical teaching, a most radical message that challenges his morality, it challenges his, Nicodemus' religion. You cannot find a more radical message than being born again. And everyone, everyone needs it. Regardless of our cultures or our backgrounds or our record, or our failures, or our successes, Jesus comes and says to you this morning, you need this new birth. You need to be born again. No excuses. No, but I'm doing my best. You need it. Jesus takes away the options for people to say, oh, not for me. Nicodemus, get back to the beginning. If you don't understand this, Nicodemus, you're going to miss the point. It's critical, it's crucial. How essential is this new birth? Absolutely essential. But what exactly is this new birth? Well, I would suggest it is very radical, it's morally radical. Jesus doesn't come to Nicodemus and going, you know, Nicodemus, you've done so well. I mean, I'm so impressed about how righteous you are. I mean, you are one of the foremost religious leaders that Israel has. Now, if you adopt my teaching, I'll take you all the way to heaven. You we are built as human beings to think far greater of ourselves than we deserve. And is true. And we think that we can work our way to heaven so far. God's impressed. God says, oh, come on. I'll take you the rest of the way. Uh, no, no. It's scary, this message of new birth. It's a radical message. It comes and says, really? Not good enough. It's like when the boys come and say, but Rev, Rev, isn't, a, isn't this a pass, man? No, no, it's not. It's not a pass. 
it's a fail. But compared to, I don't care what Lockie got, it's not good enough. Everyone's got to start over. Christianity is a, the message that Jesus brings is a brand new thing. Jesus is coming and saying, I'm not bringing in Judaism revamped, or the redux version. This is not going to be Judaism improved. This is a new way. What you've done, Nicodemus, doesn't count. And that's a challenge for us all. And it's why it challenges us radically. Our morality and our beliefs. When you think about it, and I've been around Christian circles now for more years, why is it the message that you must be born again? Why has it been left for the down and outs, the convicts, the prostitutes, and been in some ways blessed by God this text to this group of people and not elsewhere why do the people who have nothing see and say I need this you see Christianity when it becomes something of the cultural elite loses the radical edge of the gospel Jesus comes for winners and losers and says the same thing. You've got to have this. And so the people who have nothing say, Oh yeah, I need this. I need this change. I'm glad I can start again at point, you know, at the beginning. Because I've got nothing. Those people who think they're the winners in society reject the message more out of hand because they think, Well look what I've got to lose. The person who's a member of the, the Melbourne Cricket Club is going to say, well, what, become a born-again Christian? Become a Christian? And give up my social standing? I mean, will the Mel- real Mel- wife, housewives of Melbourne are going to accept a message like this and maybe be axed from the show? Jesus comes and says, it's a radical change. And it's for you all. It changes us morally. It changes us also psychologically. It's a new consciousness Jesus offers. The new birth is new life. I think Apostle Paul put it perhaps in a clearer picture when he says you put on the new self. You become a new creation. You become a new creature. What has been in the past is forgiven through the cross. And you are brand new. In the eyes of God, you belong to Him as a child. The angels of heaven rejoice at your birth into the kingdom. We have a shifted identity. We become new people. If we remember back to the days when we first knew Christ and started to follow Him, we say, it felt like a brand new start. Psychologically, I knew that I was a new creation. Down through life, we see people whose lives are radically changed. Even from the most moral. John Wesley, when he was converted, 
was a Church of England minister. God changed. And it was like my heart was warmed. The religion, the morality, the tradition melted away and became Christ. We become new and we can see ourselves that we are new. We're not the old we're not that old person anymore. We've changed. We can honestly say, I am new and that person there, I don't know what they were doing. It was me, but it's not who I am today. Christianity changes. The gospel changes us from inside. And we become totally reformed. Not in the doctrine side of things. Jesus pointed out in verses 5 to 7, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Jesus is picking up from Ezekiel 36, 37 about the promise God makes to Israel and says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to give you a new heart, new life, new purpose, new identity. You'll be completely mine. And you will be brand new. I will put my spirit in you and you will have new desires, new hope, new life. 1 Peter, Peter talks in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we are being born of imperishable seed. What a great picture that is. Imperishable seed. This is not transformation. It's more reformation. Uh, in South Africa, in the uh, church house, we had two f- fruit trees. One was a lemon. My girls will remember the lemon tree. Our oldest used to, to eat raw lemons. That's a party trick. Okay, and the other tree was a guava tree. Now, lemons are not one of those fruits you can pick off the tree and just eat. And for me, guavas certainly are not. I cannot stand the taste of guava. And yet, it was the most fruitful tree in the garden. And, uh, you know, the garden would get watered by the heavy summer rains. And uh, the fruits would get bigger. And, and we used to collect them because they would fall from the tree. I'd collect them in bags and people came begging to the door. I'd say, here's a bag of guavas. You know, uh, go and sell them in the market, eat them. You know, here's a couple of bags. You know, just collect them. Please take them. Otherwise, all I had to do was dig the guavas that had fallen into the ground. Which makes more guavas because it acts as fertilizer. So I have more guavas to give away. I wanted an apple tree. I didn't want a guava tree. What am I going to do? Well, watering isn't a good thing. Fertilizer doesn't work. I needed a brand new tree. I needed the guava tree removed. I needed to chop it down and maybe graft on an apple tree. Because guava trees give guava fruit. Christianity, the gospel comes and says this new birth radically changes you like that. You become so brand new that the fruit that you give is the fruit of the Spirit and not your original fruit. 
trans- it's not transformation. It's, it's reformation. And moreover, it, it challenges it as our very core about who Jesus is. This new birth challenges us to who this Jesus is. Nicodemus comes and says, uh, we know you're a teacher, because nobody could teach and do the things you're doing if God wasn't with them. You're a teacher, Jesus. And did you notice how Jesus says in verse 3, in reply Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You must be born again. It's Jesus changing the subject. Jesus abruptly changes the direction and controls the conversation from that moment on. Now Nicodemus comes with a plan. The plan I believe then, come on, let's get working together to make Israel better morally. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, if you think I'm just a teacher, you'll never be born again. And then he goes on and says, no one who has gone up into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man, verse 13. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus mentions a passage in Numbers chapter 21 with Moses and the people of God in the wilderness, and the people of God have rebelled. And snakes have come. And the snakes are biting the people and the people are dropping down dead. And Moses has gone to God and said, God, God, please do something about this. And God says to Moses, make a snake from bronze, stick it on a pole. And all the people who look, who've been bitten by a snake and who look at the snake, bronze snake on a pole, will be saved. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you think I'm a teacher. I am more than that. I have come to save and to save you. You think you just need new teaching. You think I am here just to give you a new formula of how to have your most successful life. I am more than a teacher. I am more than an example. I am more than a healer. I am more than a helper. If that's what you think I am, you've got it wrong. If you want some new teaching so that at the end you can go and say God and say, well, I tried this. I tried this new teaching, God. How did I do? You say, I set my boys work in the class and they use that phrase. I never, we don't have this phrase. Give it a, a, you know, a red hot crack. It's an Australian phrase. We've got that one in Scotland. We're much more apathetic. We'll say, well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go. You know, don't get too enthusiastic. I'll give it a red hot crack, Rev. Good on you. I mean, you think sometimes, oh, Jesus, new teaching, we'll add it on, we'll say to God at the end, give it a, a red hot crack. If you believe that Jesus has come as just a teacher, you've got it wrong. He's more than that. Jesus says, if you think I'm just a teacher, Nicodemus, you can't be born again. It's the same thing to us. You think that's all he is? You won't be born again. 
You see, Luther thought that. Luther struggled. Great reformer. There he was, a monk, religious. Did his best. Gave everything a red hot crack, especially as a monk. And he knew it wasn't working. Deep down, psychologically, he hated. And he murmured against God. And then he realized what the righteousness of God meant. He said, then I grasp the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace, God's gift, and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith and not by giving it a good red hot crack. Okay? Thereupon, Luther says, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through. We need to break through. Luther broke through. I think Nicodemus also broke through because he began to see that this man, Jesus, and his kingdom meant that he was king. Meant that he was more than a teacher, but a saviour. And it's important that you and I realise that this Jesus is more than a teacher. You know, We'll do anything to please teachers. Well, normally do, but not, not all the time. Not in my classes. Okay. But we tend to think, well, we'll give it a go. We'll do our best. But if we fail, what well, we failed as a teacher. But if we come to see Jesus as Savior, if we see our sins and our failures for what they are, our attempt to be king, our attempt to save ourselves, our attempt to be the centre of the universe, then we will realise more and more that we fail and that we need not a better effort, but that we have failed a saviour who's gone to a cross to die for us. The beginning of Holy, well, the, this beginning of Holy Week, this Palm Sunday, we've got to see Jesus, the King, who is Savior, riding on a donkey, heading to Jerusalem for his death. And if we see him as Savior more than teacher, then we will rebound when we see those sins in our lives because of the harm it brought Christ. And the necessity of his death on that cross. When we see Christ as Saviour, we'll see our sins and our failures. And we'll see how much we have failed our Saviour. We need to operate out of a new picture. A new mindset that sees Jesus not as good guy. Not as good example. Not as moral teacher and guru but as saviour. Finally, how do we get all this? Nicodemus leaves with the images of being born again. What does that mean? What does that mean? And he sees the image, and hears the image of the Son of Man being lifted up. What does that mean? No one can go to heaven unless... They see the Son of Man who's been lifted up. What does that mean? We have two episodes of Nicodemus 
And I think he's gone from this evening meeting and he's thought and thought and thought and wrestled with this whole concept. Because in chapter 7 we see Nicodemus in front of the Sanhedrins going, basically trying to protect Jesus and buying him some more time. Does our law, he says, condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And the rest of the Sanhedrin turn on him and say, are you from Galilee too, Nicodemus? He's trying to, he's, he's wrestling. He's still wondering what it means to be lifted up. He's thinking it through. And he's thinking about that whole concept of new birth. New birth. How many of us can birth ourselves? We played no part in our birth, our natural birth. No part at all. It happened to us. We didn't do it. Our mothers were suffering. Our mothers were bleeding. There was anguish on the part of our mothers. But you see, when it comes to natural birth, someone else suffers. Someone else goes through the anguish and bleeds for us. And in the new birth, someone else suffers. Someone else goes through the anguish and the bleeding, and that's Jesus Christ. We don't birth ourselves. We are born by the Spirit. It's not our doing. I was in Cape Town last year for a boys' school conference. What a perky. And uh, I went out for dinner with a few headmasters, one of which was probably from one of the most prestigious schools in the UK. No names, no patrol. And to start the conversation off, it was a lovely guy. He said, uh, what's it like to try and convert all the people at Scotch College, all the boys at Scotch College? I said, uh, that's not my job. That's God's job. My job is just to tell the message. A bit like Luther and Philip MacLanthorne and the who at the time of the Reformation were asked, why is the Reformation succeeding? What are you doing? That's right. He said, Philip and I just preach the word and then drink beer. It's God's work. It's God's work to bring about new birth because it's God's work for his son on the cross, bleeding in the anguish for you and for me. Perhaps that's what Nicodemus saw. That's maybe the light bulb moment. He sees the Son of Man stuck on a pole, crucified and bleeding. He sees the water come from his side and the penny drops and says, Now I get it. Now I get this new birth. Now I know what it means. I had a feeling. I now see it. I see the anguish of the Son of Man for myself and I need to receive it. And that's what we need to do. We need to receive it. To receive the one who dies for us. That's new birth. That's the radical change. When we see the one God sends out of love for us. 
That's when our hearts are penetrated by the Spirit of God. And we follow. You see what Nicodemus does in that last passage in chapter 9? What's he doing? He's there with Joseph of Arimathea and they take the body of Jesus and they wash it and they put the spices on it, the body. And they wrap the body up in the grave clothes. They don't know the full story yet. Nicodemus, the man, is born again because, you see, what he's doing is women's work. The elder, the elite, the guru, the teacher of Israel is serving the Lord as best he can at that stage because he's changed. He's seen the Son of Man lifted up and he knows that God's at work. May this Easter, as we reflect Again on the cross. May it not be old news. May it remain good news and fresh to our hearing and to our understanding. May we all be born again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for your saving grace to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. May we never denigrate him or pigeonhole him as just a teacher. May we receive, Lord God, the birth that you offer, the fresh start that is ours in Christ, and go with us into our new lives to serve in every capacity. Amen.